Professional wrestling is the one true sport. Other sports have their share of intense dramatic moments, but nothing can compare with professional wrestling. Welcome to Wrestling History X, where two friends get together and talk about the story behind the matches. I'm Matt. And I'm Michael. Welcome to episode 61, Clash of the Champions 17. XVII? That's right, right? Yeah, that's correct. XVII, where all five pieces of gold get tested, right? right? Yeah, all, all that's five. true. All I'm trying. There's time. no. There's no tagline here. Kind of off the cuff. There's yeah, five. It, be, there's there's five like titles, the right? First, it's the first Clash of the Champions that hasn't had a subtitle. I think yeah, in maybe. the entire run. So it's kind of so, weird. But. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, the 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 weight of gold is that a, that's a better tagline, right? Yeah, Clash of the good. Champions seventeen, the weight of gold, because all the titles are going to be defended. That's and they right. said there's there's five, so we got our heavyweight. Our US, our TV, correct. our light heavyweight. Correct. So well, we still have two tag titles. And, and the world so, tag team. Yeah. So there's two titles that aren't being technically defended on this one. The but I thought US, it was all of them. The US tag team belt and the six-man tag belts aren't being defended oh, either. Six-man my ass. But those are, the, those are the two like minor secondary belts that yeah, no one really yeah. cares about. So. I think they're probably starting to phase them out probably yeah. a little bit. So Clash of the Champions 17 is obviously the 17th Clash produced by WCW. It took place on November 19th, 1991 at the Savannah Civic Center in Savannah, Georgia. The attendance for the show was 6,922 and it had a, not a buy rate, but a network rating of 4.3. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what, is it called a network rating? What is it called? Nielsen ratings. Yeah, yeah. So your TV rate. Your TV rating. Which was a pretty good rating at the time. Which the show, spoiler alert, the show deserved a good rating. Oh yeah, strong agree. Some things that were happening around the time of Clash of Champions seventeen. Magic Johnson would announce he has HIV a week earlier. So wow. how old? How old were you in 1991? Let's see, like four, so not even alive. I was just a, like, shit pants, you know, graham cracker eating burden on my, burden on my mother. So I remember watching this announcement. I was 10 years old at the time. Oh, yeah. And I saw this announcement and... I had never heard of HIV before. Like, I mean, I'm 10 years old, so obviously that's not something that... Yeah, like, yeah, you're like, oh, no about. one's telling you about, like, STDs when you're 10 years old. Exactly. But at the same time, it was just like, I knew who Magic Johnson was, and yeah. he now had this disease... That at that... the time was... At the time was fatal. It was a fatal disease at the time. Exactly. It is not a fatal disease today, and that's incredible, but at one point in time, it was a absolute fatal disease like nobody was surviving it it was just a you and time and dealing with it because i mean that's basically 
because I started asking questions basically after he made this announcement, like to find out what HIV was. Yeah. And I found I was like, oh, Magic Johnson is going to die. Die. Yeah. And I was just like, I got really I think I probably got really upset because, I mean, I wasn't huge into basketball, but I knew who Magic Johnson was. You were a big sports guy. Like, exactly. Your whole life. So I imagine that it's like, oh, well, you know, it's like. A big, a big sports guy. So whether you're not like you're a big baseball and a big football guy, if you're watching sports television, there's no way you're getting around like popular basketball, whether you're a big basketball fan or not. So exactly. So I mean, I just remember seeing the announcement and just my mind being blown and not like, what does this mean? Yeah, confused kid. So that's yeah, that's wild. I. uh yeah, I definitely was completely unaware at, at the time, for sure. For me, it would have been like trying to think. It's like I remember when Princess Diana died pretty heavily because <laughs> that song was everywhere. Oh, yeah. And my, I remember my dad watching the funeral. I guess he had a crush on her or something. He's not fucking British or Canadian. Like, I don't know why he would have gave a <laughs> shit. I should give him I should rib him next time I see him. I mean, granted, it's sad. Like, I'm not diminishing the death of of somebody like untimely but i was like why is that a big deal to him but also a few days prior to the show a little bit music video called black or white by michael <sighs> jackson see would oh. premiere simultaneously in 27 different countries my god to an audience of 500 million people it was a Thursday night. Oh yeah, no, I remember watching this live, and I remember Fox. I remember going break. to school and everybody talking about it. This music video, big deal, huge deal. This was like the la- This was kind of the last gigantic Michael Jackson thing that was positive. It was like this big of a scale. Like I remember his scream video was a big thing or whatever, but yeah. this was like peak of kind of peak music video popularity in general, not just for him, but just the popularity of music videos. And also, yeah, that's wild. Black or White's 91? Mm-hmm. That seems so early. I know, it does. And that music video looks incredible. And, like, the money spent on it, like, and, the, like, the effects at the end where everybody's, like, swapping into different people still seems super impressive for 1991. I agree completely. That's wild. Also, good song. It's a very good song. Is that that song pre pre the Free Willy tune? Free Willy's what ninety two or three? Yeah, I think so. Man, yeah, that's crazy. It sounds right. I remember uh, when I was a kid, the like it a you know Free Willy was a big VHS tape to have around. Uh, I remember seeing it in the theater, but at a like a babysitter's house or something like that, we would always watch put in like the free willy tape and uh, I would always make sure and request that we did not skip to the movie so we could watch the music video to hear the Michael Jackson song because I liked it so much. It's like, no, it's like, you gotta, it's like, no, just let it play. We'll sit through the, we'll sit through the previews, but we got to hear the song because they played the music (laughs) video before the movie started. And I, I really liked it. That's wild. I didn't realize that black or white was 91. And also that, that that was at the same time as the Magic Johnson thing, because I remember one thing and not the other, but that makes sense considering how young I was. Like, couldn't even explain it to me if you did it plainly. It would not have meant anything to me. That's very true. <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh, I don't, yeah. 
Wild. But now that now that everyone's set through the previews for this show, yes, let's hit play on the main event and find the out w- what gold really weighs. The WCW logo with lightning, followed by crowd footage, and the Clash logo comes onto the screen. We get narration and photos of the competitors, and our title defenses are shown. Yep, and we've—I think this is the first time we get that like real traditional purple WCW logo. It feels like it, but I Pyro, just love—I love that. Pyro's going off as Jim Ross and Tony Schiavone welcome us to the show, and. JR mentioned something about mystery boxes that Sting has been receiving, and we hope to find out who has been sending them later. What's on in the, the box? What's in the box? <laughs> Hopefully, it's not one of Sting's ring rats' heads. Gwyneth Paltrow, <laughs> probably not. Yeah, it's a little dark, but uh, you know. Missy Hyatt and Eric Bischoff are in the back, and Missy says she'll be interviewing Marcus Alexander Bagwell the newest WCW rookie later on in the show. Are you telling me it's going to get buff? We may get a little buff up in here. But she seems very excited as... Yeah. Miss, Missy knows what she likes, and it's not Stan Hansen, who also, we haven't seen Stan in a while. Yeah, he's probably back in Japan by this point. Yeah, I imagine. So he's like, well, I'm going to go somewhere where I can make money. <laughs> and uh, spoiler alert... We do not see that interview later on in the show as it's edited out of the yeah. network version. Okay, so it was on TV? Or did it they just was, not it even get to it? It was on the show. It just got edited out for Weird. the network version. Why? Who knows? It's like literally probably three minutes of our time. Yeah, who knows? That is weird because I do, like I wrote the wrote the note down and I was like, okay, like I definitely don't remember that interview. I know. I was like, heard this and I was like, oh, cool, Bagwell. Be first time to see him. Yeah, totally. We'll have to wait. Psych, as they would probably say in 1991. So we head straight off to our first match. We got Thomas Rich with Alexandria York. My wife. Big Josh in a lumberjack match. So there's actually a story behind this match. (sighs) Tell me. I'm all ears on a story. So Wildfire Tommy Rich had brought Josh into the WCW but then turned his back on him to join the York Foundation. And so Josh is getting even with Thomas Rich. He's going to log roll his ass into an early grave, log roll his ass down a swift river. Let the beavers take care of him at the, there you go. At the dam. Mm-hmm. He's going to uh, damn him to a useless existence. That's the one right there. <laughs> okay. All right. Rich attacks right as Josh gets in the ring with multiple elbows to the head. And I see the Freebirds, Todd Champion, one of the State Patrol, Richard Morton, the Young Pistols, Terrence Taylor all around ringside as our lumberjacks because mm-hmm. they don't tell us who they are. Yeah. Josh, it's their faces and the heels. Yeah. One side, the other. Josh starts no-selling shots, and Thomas starts looking for an exit out of the ring. But it's surrounded, because you know it's a lumberjack. It's like somebody forgot to tell him what it was, and he was like, or maybe he was just so scared of Big Josh that he was like, "Well, let me go take a breather." And uh, also, he's used to it. It's kayfabe airtight because he's Thomas Rich, not Tommy Rich. He is a disciple of Miss Alexandria York. The first thing you do 
if you're a Yorkman, is roll, roll out, out of the ring. Roll out of the ring and look at the computer. So he was just working on on uh, me- muscle memory. Chops from Josh, an atomic drop into a turnbuckle, belly to belly suplex, the log roll, more punches until Rich finally rolls out of the ring. The Freebirds and Champion come over to roll Thomas back in, where Josh back body drops Rich and a big elbow drop, but only for a one count. So the Freebirds are on the face side now. That's wild. Thomas with a headbutt to the gut, then throws Josh to the outside, where the rest of the York Foundation start beating on him before the Freebirds can break it up to roll him back in. But Rich just tosses Josh right back out. Once back in the ring, Thomas with the clothesline starts choking Josh with tape and hits a back elbow and an elbow drop. Big Josh starts firing back with right hands, chops, but again Rich chokes him with the tape. And the ref gets Thomas off of Josh only for Steve Armstrong of the Young Pistols to jump to the apron to continue choking Josh. So if you can't tell, the Young Pistols have turned heel. Yeah, yeah. I feel like... That they should have been the Young Pistols when they were faces and the Wild-Eyed Southern Boys when they're heel. That makes sense. Yeah, but I mean, you know, I also kind of like the name Wild-Eyed Southern Boys better, which I also believe is a 38 special song, which is probably what they took the name from at the time. Rich with a vertical suplex, elbow to the head, but Josh fires back with left hands, chops, and Irish whip, but charges into a big boot. Thomas heads up to the top rope where Big Josh meets him to press slamming to the mat. We get a vertical suplex by Josh for a two count. Both men are crisscross running the ropes when Rich is tripped up by Terrence Taylor, allowing <gasps> Big Josh to hit the Northern, Northern exposure, exposure. Which is the butt bump pin. For the pin and, and the, the win. win. And I'm like sitting over here. Terrence, what is the deal? Terrence is kind of the king of the York Foundation, right? It uh, feels like he's the leader. So why he's would been, he he's be... been the longest Yorkman? Yeah, why would he even be like Terrence Taylor in a shoot fight? Feels like he would just rock old old Tommy boy. So what is he getting on Tommy for? This isn't even a belt thing. I just think there may be some cracks in the old York Foundation. I think they're going to start some storytelling. I think that'd be a good idea. Not a bad idea. Uh, I will say Big Josh is only getting better with every match. I don't hate his matches. No, no. Like there he's he's getting better in the ring and it's obvious, but it's also obvious that he's never going to be great. You know what I mean? Correct. So it's like it's better, but it's not it's not like, oh man, there's really something here. <laughs> so like, so I'm just, I just want to point it out because you know we've shit talked some Big Josh, and we also know he's going to end up being a comedy star. Very much so. So like, you know, this is this is important. So we head off to our second match: Firebreaker Chip versus Beautiful Bobby Eaton. We're getting a singles match with FBC. I know, crazy, right? Fucking wild. Super wild. Eaton starts off the match with a hip toss, but then Chip works a side headlock with Bobby rolling him over for several pin attempts. Eaton tosses Firebreaker to the ropes, misses a back elbow, and Chip goes up to the top rope, but leaps over a charging Bobby, so Firebreaker goes to the opposite corner to come off the top with a crossbody, 
for a two count. Chip back to the side headlock, more pin attempts by Eaton, until Bobby can escape by ramming Firebreaker into the turnbuckle multiple times. Irish Whip is reversed by Chip, charges in with a crossbody, but ends up just leaping over the ropes to the apron. The two men trade hammer locks until an Irish Whip by Firebreaker charges right into a clothesline from Eaton. Bobby hits a backbreaker, a crossbody, but the momentum carries Chip over on top for a near fall. Eaton tosses Firebreaker to the ropes and tries for a hip toss, but Chip reverses that into a backside pin for a two count. Bobby then reverses an Irish whip, goes for a back body drop, but Firebreaker floats over to an attempt an O'Connor roll, but is kicked off right into the turnbuckle. Eaton and it looks hits- like shit. <laughs> yeah. He really has to jump like halfway across the ring to fucking sell it. Firebreaker Chip, an experienced worker. Eaton then hits a bridging back suplex for the pin. And, and the, the win. win. Was it not a belly to belly? into a bridging back suplex or was it a bridging back suplex or was it the belly or i guess it's it was the... just it was just really a back suplex but then he bridges oh, okay. for the for yeah the pin. well bobby did match. bobby did what he could yeah and we love bobby and we're not going to take anything away from him thank god it was bobby eating in there and not oz oh yeah, yeah. my god or or uh bill kenzia kaz kazmire whatever the fuck his name is so we got our starcade ad the, what I'm calling now, I don't know the rules, and I think they're going to tell me. They tell me here, actually, but I did not write them down because it's the Starcade ad, which I'm calling Starcade 91, the Fishbowl Brawl. <laughs> it's the Fishbowl Brawl, but then they say all these rules, and I was like, I'm not going to take time to write these down because I'm going to have to watch the show, and I'd rather just be surprised. And I don't want, I don't want to be angry right now. I want to watch the show. So my notes say, yeesh. Lots of rules. But Fishbowl yeah. Brawl is Star K91 to me forever, unless it's good. Unless it's good, then it can be the Battle lethal, Bowl, the lethal, lethal lottery. lottery. But until then, it's the Fishbowl Brawl. I know. I was kind of disappointed that they they actually said all the rules just because I was yeah. like, I, I wanted, I didn't want to know I what the know. rules yeah. were until the show. That's why I didn't write them down because I was like, I don't remember them. So I and I did I made a choice not to write them down because like it's gonna be more fun to know later. Well, I purposely didn't write them down either. Okay. S- to keep the surprise a little bit longer. Okay, I assume that yeah, like your memory is better than mine, but I know that you're not gonna remember all those rules because there's probably nine of them. Oh, I remember all of them. Oh Lord. Jesus, Jesus Christ! No, I'm just kidding. I don't <laughs> all right, I wouldn't have been surprised if you did, honestly. Tony is then on the rampway and he brings out Sting, and Sting says. Show me a box. Show me a prize. It's time for the final box. So Sting has already received a couple of mystery boxes before that had contained Cactus Jack and Abdullah the Butcher. Oh, so it's like a box with a human in it. Yes. It's Jim Cornette. Jim Cornette, old school wrestling style. As soon as somebody comes out of a box, they're immediately over. I mean, I don't think it was ever known. But, you know, it's kind of a box. I think when the boxes first showing up, it wasn't known that they were going to be people in them. It just so yeah, happened. To I, I assume they were smaller boxes, not, you know, human sized boxes. Yeah. And what we're about to see is not even a box. No. We then see a group of greased up jobbers carry out a box to the ramp and Medusa emerges 
and it's not really like you said it wasn't really in a box it's more like they carry the people around in yeah yeah it looks like a carriage but it's held by people as opposed to horses so it's got a couple in the back couple in the front also i just got my stimulus check do you know where i could get a couple greased up jobbers greasedupjobbers.com <laughs> oh thank you uh, all right yeah i heard they closed greased up jobbers are us recently so i guess i'll have to hit the internet t-shirt idea right there <laughs> we haven't had one of those in about 50 episodes <laughs> no and who knows if those were good but so medusa emerges from from this mystery box and she mm-hmm. begins to try and seduce sting very very creepily just kind of like sherry did with ultimate warrior yeah except for sting is more into it as opposed to warrior so it's like a little less creepy where sting's like looking at the crowd and he's like yeah like i think medusa's like way into this and like she's like crawling towards him but he's like getting like horned up and selling it to the crowd whereas old hellwig looked like he was gonna end up in jail he looked like he was gonna hit a woman (laughs) where sting is you know uh willing to entertain what medusa is selling here but it causes sting to lower his guard when all of of a sudden lex luger comes out of the box and clips sting's bad knee multiple times because remember sting had the knee injury yeah like lex expressed to the back of the knee and then jr starts yelling that it's been luger sending the boxes all the time so all of a sudden because he hit him from behind jr knows that Lex was the one sending the boxes. Do you think Luger's ever sent a letter in his life? Probably not. I feel like Lex is a, like, I don't know. I don't want to talk about people I don't know. But I feel like he's a pretty chill dude. He wouldn't use the USPS. He'd use the (laughs) Lex Express. (laughs) Yes. Lex Express to the back of the knee. That was the only message he needed to send. All of a sudden, Pillman, Big Josh, the Patriots, and Dustin Rhodes all come running out to send Lex running to the back and to check on Sting. We cut to commercial, and when we come back, the third match, Diamond Stud versus Z-Man, has already already started as Zinc Irish whips Stud to the corner, charging into a big boot, and Stud comes off the second rope with a bulldog for a two-count. We then go to picture-in-picture, as we've seen Sting being helped to the back and being placed in an ambulance. Z-Man reverses an Irish whip, looks to charge in, but slides underneath Stud to the floor, grabbing his legs and dragging him to crotch him on the ring post. Zinks up to the top rope, coming off with a sunset flip for a near fall. Clotheslined by Stud, slams Z-Man's head into the turnbuckle, tries for a second one, but is blocked and reversed by Zink. JR's pondering what Sting's injury means for the U.S. title match later on in the show. And then Stud tosses Z-Man to the ropes, misses a back elbow, so Zink turns and hits a super kick, goes for the crucifix pin. For the pin, and the win. I'm glad Zink got his win back. I was glad Zink got the win as well. And it's over Diamond Stud for the small amount we see here. He looks a lot better in ring. I think it's a shame. I mean, it's, you know, commercial break. Picture in picture. Yeah, but I will say that it is worth it because. Did we we need to see Sting get into an ambulance? Yes, absolutely we did. They couldn't just tell us? No, we need to see it. 
I, I think you, I honestly do think that you need to see it and that that's more important than like, than this match. If this was a pay-per-view, maybe it would have been a little different, but uh, this show is kind of like if you condense a good pay-per-view into a better pay-per-view. Okay. I'll allow it. <laughs> so post-match stud ends up choke slamming Z-Man hits the diamond death drop. Uh-huh. A- AKA razor's edge for it looks incredible, but what does he do and after then that? Leave the ring. No, he looks into the camera and says, I'm the bad guy. He's already starting his razor. Remote. I know he it's is. crazy. It's wild. There is some things in here that get in this, in this show that get pulled into the WWF that I just thought were WWF things. I had a revelation. I don't know if we'll be able to, Prove it, but we'll get there. So we're headed off to our fourth match. The Rap Master, PN News. Yo, baby, yo, baby, yo. Versus stunning Steve Austin with Lady Blossom for the WCW World Television Championship. And this is where JR says medical facility. Does he say it right here? Yes, as this match as this match is like starting, Jr. is talking about trying to get a hold of Sting, and is talking about the whole Sting angle, and he says they have taken him to a medical facility, and my mind exploded, completely exploded, and they're just obviously just sowing seeds for this angle or whatever, but he said medical facility, and I don't think we've heard it yet. I think it's the first time we've heard it. I think it's the first time. And everyone says it's a Vince thing, but it's a JR thing. It's a JR thing. You can blame him for football talk and medical facilities. And um, and I guess those two things mostly. Outside of, you know, just being, having generally a Southern accent. But that's, you know, that's not, you can't blame him for that. It's just where he's from. But medical facility. Well, they bring it up later too. But this is the first time that they say it on this show. And it's just him basically killing time before the match starts. So Austin attacks as the bell rings, goes for an Irish whip that is reversed, and News picks up Steve with a double chokehold before slamming him to the mat. Oh, that's such a perfect move for PN News to do. The rep master with an Irish whip charges in with an avalanche splash and a clothesline. Austin tries to leave the ring as JR tells us this is a rematch as stunning Steve had used brass knuckles to knock out news the last time they faced. The Rap Master with a body slam, an elbow drop, and Austin rolls out of the ring. PN News follows out and gets raked in the eyes by Stunning Steve, but the Rap Master ends up tossing Austin into the guardrail before being rolled back into the ring. Steve gets on the offensive as News rolls back in, goes for a body slam, but the Rap Master falls on top of him for a two-count. Hell yes. So good. PN News with the one-legged dropkick. A vertical suplex goes for the cover, but Austin is in the ropes, so the Rap Master continues with a snapmare and goes for another cover for a two-count. Stunning Steve throws News through the ropes to the rampway, goes to clothesline the Rap Master, but his back body dropped back into the ring. News does some dancing before locking on a bear hug and then <laughs> taking him Love over. It with a belly-to-belly suplex. But Blossom puts Austin's foot Leg. Yeah. on the rope. The Rap Master goes out to the floor to stalk after Lady Blossom, allowing Stunning Steve to hit a Pescado to the floor. 
hits his head on the guardrail before rolling him back in. Shoulder blocks by Austin, goes for an Irish whip that is reversed. News charges in, but Steve moves, and the Ratmaster hits his head on the ring post. Posted. Austin then makes the cover with leverage for the pin. And the win. win. This match rules. This match is what made me go, Steve Austin can actually wrestle. Oh, man, this match, I mean, we saw it in the last one, but this is one where he, like, takes somebody that is, like, barely over and has an incredible, like, five-minute match with them. It really, this match hits. I'm into it. I agree. I know, sad day, but this would be Lady Blossom's last appearance. It was, like, the second appearance I've seen of her, so. I think it was, like, the third. Was it? Because she... Third, those, third Austin match. That blossoming uh, neckline will be missed. She looks like an older Deborah McMichael to me. Totally. Yo, I also thought that that was Deborah. I was like, people look different as they get older. This looks very similar to Deborah, but maybe it is because it's kind of like Alexandria York looks like Terry Runnels, but. She looks different in a few years. Like, it could be a different person. But, yeah, I was like, oh, is that Deborah? But it's just Lady Blossom. Yeah, it's just Lady Blossom. Very similar looks, though. They they do look very similar. Yeah. So then we go off to our fifth match. Cactus Jack versus Van Hammer. So, I don't know about you, but I really like Van Hammer. So whose music video should have gotten more views, Van Hammer's or Michael Jackson's? Oh, the one that got the views deserved the views. <laughs> <laughs> Just saying. I did notice that Cactus Jack comes out to like music that sounds basically like early Undertaker jams. And it sounds kind of like the early Mankind thing, but it's like this very goth, like slow going tune. And I think it might be one of the first times we've got some singles cactus jack music uh probably because yeah but usually just been in like tag team matches lately but yeah that van hammer video is kind of sick in the dumbest way it's like oh jesus fuck once he hits the stage pyro starts coming out of his guitar as well Uh, it's fucking cool like if michael ps hayes uh was is jacked as van hammer he'd been shooting pyro out of his guitar a long time ago he was just never a body guy and like if you got a nice body you get a you get a stronger gimmick unless you're talking about z-man and pillman but it's like oh like these guys have nice bodies but they're They're really good but they're good workers and they're not big enough they're not tall enough but it's like oh you're six four and ripped like i feel like that's what it takes but how tall is z-man I feel like Z-Man's pretty tall. Maybe not. I don't know. Maybe I, I he's only 5'8". Anyway, we've got a, a jackhammer to get to. Cactus Jack attacks from behind as the bell rings, choking him. But Hammer hits a back suplex and a drop kick to send Jack to the floor. Hammer then leaps over the ropes to the floor to deliver a double axe handle, slamming his head into the guardrail before rolling Cactus Jack back in. And when you say leap, like he seriously just like puts one hand on the ropes and full jumps over top all three ropes. 
to yeah. the floor. It's really impressive. That's why I said it in the previous show, but this one I feel like might is a better example of it. But Van Hammer, it's got Tom McGee vibes. Hammer hits a big boot, a body slam, a leg drop for a two count. Who does that remind you of? I mean, I don't know. Not everybody does a leg drop for a two count. I know, he usually gets three. <laughs> Jack reverses an Irish whip attempt and then face plants Hammer to the mat. Cactus Jack with a clothesline that sends both men over the top rope to the floor. Jack goes up to the second rope to hit an elbow drop onto the floor. Back in the ring, the two men start trading blows as the crowd chants for Hammer. Oh, do they really? Yeah, they is do. that real? Are you sure they didn't pipe it in later? Is it not ADR? It it's it felt real. Also, do you think that maybe, like, if he had a deeper tan, his leg drop would go to three? Do you think the deeper the tan, if it's like a shade thing where they like put like you up to a scale after a certain like tanness, your finisher becomes a leg drop? and it's like all right well you know if you're like three degrees more tan then the leg drop is indestructible hammer that irish whips jack and delivers a clothesline and goes up to the top rope to hit a knee drop for the near fall cactus jack is tossed to the ropes the two men bump heads sending jack to the outside where he grabs the guitar and rams the v part yeah into into his neck the hammer's throat oh yeah if he cracked it over his head he would have killed him like a solid body guitar but yeah he does the you know we've all seen a v-neck guitar he just sticks the v into his neck it's pretty harmless but it's a good visual jack then crawls in to make the cover for the pin and the win there was a spot that i meant to talk about van hammer obviously probably a little stiff but he does a uh clothesline the the clothesline from behind the clothesline to the back of a guy always yeah. seems so dirty but van hammer does a pretty nasty one on on cactus but we all know that cactus can take it yeah definitely yeah post-match hammer is tossed to the ropes and ducks a clothesline and comes back with one of his own hammer then tosses jack to the rampway and hits a slingshot suplex and a flying shoulder tackle and the two men just continue to brawl all the way, all the way to, the, to back. the back we're getting between like the brawl to the back, which we've seen before, but I still can't shake medical facility. Well, speaking of medical facilities, all right, Jr. is on the phone with Eric Bischoff, who is at the medical facility, and he's literally on a phone at the announcer's desk. Yeah, and you can. It sounds like he's on a phone, and it sounds like they're actually talking. It's pretty seamless. Uh, they seem to have trouble a little bit at first, but they finally connect. And we get one of those graphics that shows us that Bischoff is in Savannah, Georgia. And it's mm-hmm. like, yeah, no shit. That's where you guys are. But they do the, like the picture. Every time they go to picture in picture, they cover the screen in yellow and then it moves over. Bischoff tells us that Sting is being examined by three different doctors. One of them is an orthopedic surgeon. But Eric has not been able to get any confirmation of the extent of the injury. But all of a sudden, an orderly comes out and gives a thumbs up. So maybe <laughs> the injury isn't as bad as it seems. Of course it's not. It's Sting. All the little Stingers sent him uh, emails from the, from the future to the past. 
then Eric tells us that the knee had swollen up three, four times its normal size. Oh, wow. I think I that... I don't think that means that it's going to be a good thing. I mean, I don't think that... I don't think that's true. I think he's fibbing. We then go back to JR and Tony, and they discuss the tag title matchup and send us to some video footage. We see the footage from Halloween Havoc where the enforcers slam the car door on Barry Wyndham's hand. Mm-hmm. And then we see Rhodes and Wyndham winning a, a TV match. And we go back to JR and Tony and they ask, will Barry be able to wrestle? wrestle. I mean, he is legitimately hurt. I know that for sure. Yes. He, he broke his wrist like a month ago. He's not wrestling. He were broken like four places. So the real question is, who is his partner? And I was like, well... Is this where they throw in, like, Rick Rude? This seems like a bad place for him. I hope they don't waste him like this. But it wouldn't be wild of them to do, considering WCW really likes to shoot themselves in the feet. Yeah. (laughs) Sounds like a good place for Oz, right? Yeah, oh my god. Can you imagine (laughs) Dustin Rhodes and Oz versus Arn and Larry? My god. I'd rather see Dustin versus both Arn and Larry. Just get murdered. So our sixth match is the enforcers of double A Arn Anderson, the living legend Larry Zabisco versus the natural Dustin Rhodes and a mystery partner with Barry Windham for the WCW World Tag Team and, Championship. And, and champs um, out first, enforcer out first. So that's a thing. Foreshadowing? I mean, maybe. Depends on if this partner is Oz or not. It's definitely not the Diamond Stud, because we already saw him. Wyndham takes the mic and apologizes to the crowd that he can't compete because he just had surgery on his wrist. Yep. And this is where I go, oh my god. And then a man in a dragon mask and black coat make his way out to the ring. And if you don't know who this is, you're crazy. I've never seen this, this costume before, or this mask. So it wasn't even a thing, but I was like, I know what the fuck this is. Like, and also wild looking mask. It is very crazy. It's fucking wild looking. Going from the last gimmick that looked incredible, but lasted like a month, like six months. This one is very funny, but they come out, they have their mask. The enforcers are yelling at JR and Tony Uh about not knowing who they're facing. Who is it? Who is it? The crowd's not really popping off quite yet. Dustin then walks out to the man. Yes. Takes the mask off. The cloak is lifted to reveal Ricky Steamboat. Oh, my God. We and the crowd goes bananas. Crowd goes crazy. And even like Dustin. The Bisco go crazy. They're complaining. I'm going crazy. I'm I'm losing my shit. You're going crazy. (laughs) You're going crazy. I went so crazy. You're going crazy. But, like, the the pop was incredible. And the thing is, is, like, Dustin pulls it off and, like, he loses it. Like, he's even excited. And you can tell the energy that he got from the, like, crowd, from being able to work with him, with, with Steamboat. And it's, like, it just becomes fucking pure magic immediately. And, like, Zabisco, like I've said recently, that I think Zabisco is incredible at shit talk while he's wrestling, and he is going at it. He's like, oh, like, 
no, 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 no. We're like, not him, not him. We didn't agree to wrestle him. We wrestled, and uh, and and then the match starts. Ricky starts firing away with elbows, chops until a rake of the eyes by Arn, and tosses Steamboat to his corner. And the enforcers are double teaming the dragon, but Ricky retaliates with more chops and elbows on both men. Dustin comes in to help as well, sending the enforcers to the floor where Steamboat and Rhodes follow out to continue the attack, with Dustin throwing Anderson into the ring post. The Dragon and Zabisco are back in the ring, where Larry looks to run Ricky into the corner, but is reversed, sending the living legend headfirst into the turnbuckle. Steamboat comes off the ropes with a flying back elbow, inverted atomic drop, and a drop kick on double A, and both enforcers are on the outside to regroup. And... It's hard to, like, everything is so sharp and so intense. Like, the best way I could describe it is that this match starts, and it's the most intelligent thing to do, is this match reveals secret opponent, and it's Ricky Steamboat, one of the greatest. Everybody in that ring knows who, everybody in that arena basically knows who the fuck he is, and they all lose their shit because he's there. But then the match starts with, instead of, like sending Dustin in first to work from underneath and then Ricky gets the hot tag. The match starts with basically Ricky going in with a hot tag. And that is fucking genius. And it gets every, it keeps every, it keeps instead of everybody like getting excited and then waiting to get excited again by having Dustin in there, it just ramps up the excitement. It's fucking genius. It's beautiful. So excited. So excited about all of this. Shoulder tackle by the dragon. Side headlock takedown, which the cruncher, as JR says, Zabisco wants to be called, rolls Ricky over for a pin attempt. Dustin in with some arm work before Steamboat comes off the top rope with a judo chop that the living legend sells like it was a near-death experience. But the dragon doesn't stop there. He drags Zabisco under the ropes to the corner and slams his arm against the ring post multiple times. The dragon is the crispiest I think we've ever seen him here. It's like he just got his his wings back or something. I don't know. It's like he'd been sitting at home for maybe too long and was like, you know what I really miss? Wrestling. I was really good at that. And then now he's out here and he's just fucking doing it. And he feels like a star. Rhodes with more arm work, but the cruncher uses his experience to work to get to his corner to tag in Arn, who pounds away on Dustin, goes for an Irish whip that is reversed, then Rhodes charges into a knee. Anderson goes up to the top rope, but Dustin meets him there to try for a press slam, but a rake of the eyes leads to a top rope double axe handle. Irish whip by double A, charges into a knee, charges in again to receive a big boot, bionic elbows by Rhodes to both enforcers. The crowd is loving it as they roll back to the outside once again. The crowd is hot, hot, hot. The crowd is incredible. Like... The stomps, like, my God, maybe it's the sound of this arena. Maybe it's that every, this is intelligent. And it may be, like, it's wild that this is a clash and not a pay-per-view. But it's also kind of smart that it's a clash because it's like, oh, well, more people are going to tune in for a clash than they are for your, like, weekly show. There's nothing that sucks about this. Once things settle, Larry wants Ricky and Dustin relents. Steamboat with a hook kick, but Zabisco retaliates with a slap to the face, goes to the outside where the dragon chases after him. 
The cruncher blind tags in Arn, which allows him to hit Ricky from behind once he is in the ring. Double A then holds Steamboat draped across the ropes for Larry to come off with a double axe handle to the back. Zabisco hits a vertical suplex for a two count, works the dragon over to his corner, but Ricky begins to fire back with chops, but the cruncher with a hook kick of his own to stop the momentum. Double A with an Irish whip hard into the corner, but again Steamboat's firing back with chops, is sent to the ropes and comes back with a sunset flip. Arn's reaching out to make a tag before Ricky can pull him over, and Zabisco comes in to hit him from behind. Larry with the body slam, grabs an ab stretch using double A as leverage. Anderson comes in to be tossed to the ropes, but the dragon ducks his head, allowing Arn to hit a back suplex. Double A tosses Ricky to the ropes, and this time he ducks his head, allowing Steamboat to faceplant him and begins to crawl his way to the corner for the Nope, Anderson grabs hold of his ankle to stop the tag. Man, Jesus. Uh, the cruncher's in with a backbreaker. The dragon with the rake of the eyes goes for a body slam, but his back gives, so Zabisco lands on top of him for a near fall. Arn locks on a bear hug, taking him down to the mat, and goes for a pump splash, but Ricky counters with a body scissors, which Anderson reverses into a Boston Crab Using leverage, working that back. He's using leverage by Larry pushing on Double Hayes' forehead. This is probably the most genius, incredible ha ha, but not ha ha thing ever. It's like, oh, that's funny, but it's not funny because it still somehow makes sense. I know when I first when I first saw it, I was like, (sighs) that seems super stupid. No, it's not. Then I was like, but then I was like. No, that's kind of ingenious. Well, the thing is, is like they don't. Number one, like you can see how it works, and they don't sell it as comedy. So that's the important thing. Yeah. If they sold it as comedy, you'd be like, whatever. But they don't sell it as comedy, and in and that's why it's incredible. That's why wrestling is so so nuanced. But the I feel like we just yelled a lot about it, or maybe I did. But <laughs> I'm excited. Arn Anderson gets. Steamboat, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat in a Boston Crab. And of course, the dragon has been in for a while, so his main thing is to try to get a hot tag. So he's attempting to crawl the other way. His back has been worked previously. Arn has a Boston Crab in, and Arn is closer to his corner. So for leverage, Larry Zabisco, you know, like a Boston Crab, you're leaning back. We all know what that is. I don't have to explain that. And he just pushes, pushes Arn Anderson's forehead back for what, like an extra couple pounds of pressure? Exactly. And it's there's something magical about it because they don't play it for a joke. If they played it for a joke, they wouldn't be the tag team they are. If they were a joke tag team, it would have been funny, but it it would have been funny. Like, that's not the kind of joke. It, it would have undermined the the match completely yeah like also it's one of those things it's like yeah the new day are good wrestlers they're also funny but they would never even think to do that not because that they're not like smart or entertaining wrestlers but because that wouldn't work for them that would be like still too funny or goofy for them it's perfect when you have these two fucking hairy heels you know what i love a hairy heel. Give me a heel with a bunch of chest hair, some shoulder hair, 
you got to have your heels be they're either they either got to be too pretty or like look like your dad and Aaron and Larry are killing it here. They are definitely the dads. Oh, I'm sorry. Continue. But that forehead push thing is one of the best things I've seen in a while. The cruncher tags in and locks the crab back on. Steamboat's crawling with every ounce of energy he can muster. Makes it to the corner, but the ref is distracted and doesn't see the tag. The dragon is then Irish whipped to the corner. Arn charges in, but Ricky sidesteps him. Hits an atomic drop, causing Double A's head to bounce off the turnbuckle, whiplashing back into Ricky to knock both men down. Anderson makes his way to the top rope, coming off with a double axe handle, but Steamboat gets a boot up into the chin and makes his way to his corner for the... <laughs> Dustin in with right hands, elbows to both enforcers, flying clothesline to Sabisco, body slam of Double A, more right hands, goes for an Irish whip that's reversed, but Rhodes makes the tag to Ricky as he hits those ropes and follows up with a bulldog of Arn. The cruncher throws the dragon over the top rope to the apron as the ref is getting Dustin out of the ring, and Ricky goes up to the top rope, coming off with a crossbody on Anderson Ooh. for the pin and, and the, the win. win. Huge crossbody. And, and new. new. Oh, man. And new. And new. Dustin Rhodes got his first belt. I know. Crazy. Man, I will say, the only thing I didn't like about this match was my only complaint about Steamboat you'll ever hear. When he gets in that crab, he does that thing where he hits the mat and it's like, looks like a tap. And it's like, at this point, I'm used to it, but I don't like it. But Steamboat here has like vigor and star power that he's never had before. He's just like, he's like one. It's like, it's like, yeah, he's always been great. But here it's like, you know, he jumped on the like one up fucking like Mario mushroom and is like playing to the crowd. He's working more with his face. He's got more vigor, more like he seems more personable. He seems more like, I don't know. It's like he woke up. It's really good. And yeah, what a way to pop a crowd. What a way to switch a belt. What a what a match. Ah, the, like I said, my one complaint is the only Steamboat complaint you'll hear from me. Which he is does the, every match that, that he's in. So. Yeah, he does that one thing. But this is the most personality I feel like we've ever gotten out of Steamboat. Uh, yeah. I'd say but so. it's also kind of some of the, the most... The crowd has really ever been so pumped and vocally behind steamboat yeah in a way but like he's so alive here behind the eyes steamboat almost kind of seems like too focused a lot of the times and here he seems like he's enjoying himself so you're enjoying him even more whenever you're just he's feeding off the crowd and you're feeding off of him and it's just like makes it makes it great it's great jr and tony are at ringside and they tell us that the enforcers are complaining in the back because they didn't sign a contract to face Rhodes and Steamboat, so they should still be champions. I mean, I'd like to see this match again, so go on, enforcers. Keep complaining. And then they say that they hope to get another update from Bischoff at the hospital. He actually does say hospital. Mm-hmm. And then J.R. hypes the arrival of Jushin Thunder Liger. A musical look. 
at Liger. And sends us to a video package. We see Liger coming off the top rope with multiple somersault planches, a super DDT, a hurricanrana against a very young Pegasus kid. Oh, yes. We see... A.K.A. Chris Benoit. Benoit. Yeah, there's like at least three Benoit spots in this, in this, or maybe more. Twisting head scissors and another top rope hurricanrana. And then we're told that Liger will be joining WCW by Christmas time. And all I like to say is, all I want for Xmas is Jushin Thunder Liger. There you go. <laughs> Paulie Dangerously then joins JR, and he says the U.S. title match may be in jeopardy because of Sting's injury. Paulie says that he and Rude are very ashamed of having ever known Lex and Medusa for their <laughs> actions tonight. But business is business. Ooh. Dangerously then pulls out a contract that says, should by accident, act of God, or injury, the United States heavyweight champion not appear in the ring by bell time, the U.S. heavyweight championship will be forfeited, and then the title will be assumed by ravishing Rick Rude. And it's on page 12, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the magic of... Polly dangerously it's like yeah he has all that information but he adds the extra detail it's like it says it on page 12 and then goes into that and it's like well you're really like he goes from like average piece of shit to like incredible piece of shit because it's like oh not only is this here but let me like yeah let me let me make sure that there's like no detail skipped we go to a break but we come right back to jr calling eric at the medical facility Mm -hmm. to let Sting know about the stipulations that have been placed on the match. And you hear Sting in the background. What Bischoff, are you talking about? And Bischoff tells us that he's commandeered an ambulance to head back to the arena. So we're off to our seventh match. Johnny B. Bad with Teddy Long versus Flying Brian Pillman for the WCW Light Heavyweight Championship. Is Johnny B. Bad really a light heavyweight <laughs> Uh, he had to drop a few pounds to make weight. Yeah, he's, uh, yeah, he's, um, I would say like maybe like two hoagies over. Exactly. <laughs> JR lets us know that there's been some friction between bad and long as they make their way to the ring. Yeah. I wonder but, if that'll play into the, into the match at all. I mean, we'll, we'll find out probably like what, maybe like three minutes. Something like that. Yeah. All we know for sure is that Johnny Abad is so pretty. He's a pretty, pretty man. The two men lock up, and Bad takes Pillman to the corner, throwing quick jabs to the body. But Flying Brian fires back with a couple of massive chops, a back <sighs> body drop, and a drop kick to send Johnny to the rampway. Pillman then follows out with an air Pillman, Ooh. which is a springboard flying clothesline. Flying Brian goes for a pile driver, which Bad reverses into a back body drop. And Pillman attempts to turn it into a sunset flip, but Johnny stays up and, and punches, punches down. down. I want to bring this up before we get too much further. But Johnny Bad comes down, and he is dressed up all pretty, with all his glittery stuff on. But he goes to some obviously planted, very cute, early 90s, late 80s women in the front of the 
front row and he has a garter belt on and they are putting one dollar bills into his garter belt he's got to make his money somehow and i think that that is kind of incredible (laughs) that's all it's it it was a very good moment and johnny bad is i mean it's the best gimmick mark marrow's ever gonna have yeah and he does it really well and it's like well how did you have this much personality as this guy and never be able to maybe yeah, it's like he was so in on that gimmick. Bad then oh. grabs Brian. They jump off the rampway for Pillman to go chest first into the guardrail. Boo. Flying Brian makes his way back onto the apron where Johnny goes for a double axe handle. But Pillman with a shoulder block and flips into the ring with a slingshot crossbody to get a two count. Flying Brian with a power slam goes to the top rope, coming off with a splash. But Bad gets his knees up. Johnny with a back elbow, a body slam, goes up to the top rope, coming off with a crossbody, but Pillman catches him with a drop kick, which I thought was a great spot. Oh, yeah. Incredible. More chops, a jumping clothesline. Flying Brian goes for an Irish whip that is reversed, and Pillman ducks a clothesline, comes back off the ropes with a spinning heel kick for a near fall. Flying Brian goes for another clothesline that bad ducks, and then Johnny delivers one of his own. Ooh, those like Johnny B. Bad clotheslines are pretty brutal. Bad goes up to the top rope, comes off with the flying sunset flip, but Teddy Long is up on the apron distracting the ref. Why is Teddy Long distracting the ref? I, I don't know. Uh, if if Pillman turns heel, we riot. So no counts made. Johnny sees this and runs over to start yelling at Teddy about what he's doing and bad turns to throw the tutti fruity punch, but Pillman ducks it runs Johnny into the ropes, knocking long off the apron and cradles bad for the pin. And, and the, the win. win. I love Johnny B. Bad. He's been so good and fun here. He's not afraid to do things that he's probably shouldn't be doing. That's why he almost broke his neck on the last pay-per-view, which was really upsetting. But his character is so strong and like he's athletic and like I'm so in on if Johnny B. Bad took the belt from Flying Brian, I don't think I would even be mad. <laughs> That's high praise. That's a high praise. And like the thing is, like I have the feelings I have for Brian and Bad are like different. They're like the yin and the yang of wrestling. You know what I mean? Yeah. And like there's something special about Johnny B. Bad. Do you think that there isn't? Do you think that I maybe like Johnny, I like Johnny B. Bad. There's I feel like that there's something special there. There's so many times that we've seen gimmicks just like fucking fail so hard. And yeah. like whether they were good or bad, like this gimmick on paper you're like, yeah, whatever. But if done well, it's good. And it it'll it'll get a, it can get over with the right person. Like look at Honky Tonk Man. Honky Tonk Man is half the worker of Johnny B. Bad, and Johnny B. Bad's not even the greatest worker. But I feel like he's just as good or better at his gimmick than Honky Tonk Man. There's something so perfectly lazy and entertaining about Honky Tonk Man, but Johnny B. Bad is trying and succeeding at the gimmick. But you know, I am glad that 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 FB. Got the pin. Post-match, Teddy's in the ring trying to calm Johnny down. 
when Bad hits the tutti fruity punch to knock Long down before just walking off to the back. And, like, how are we going to do Johnny B. Bad as a face? Maybe we'll find out. I mean, I'm interested, but it seems a little early. In a promotion with no heels, at this point... Is there no heels? We just got Rick Rude. We have heels, but yeah, no... that's true, I guess. No, I guess. No, no strong singles heels, like... Johnny B. Bad is not doing bad, is not doing, well, not, not doing a poor job. But he's also doing too good of a job to the point where he's immediately likable. Yeah. Even in the early homophobic world where Magic Johnson just came out with AIDS and everyone considers AIDS to be a, disease, a, a gay disease, Johnny B. Bad is still getting over. Because he's that good. In a, in a, like a interest in pastime that is traditionally in America not very open minded at this point in time or any point in time before it. So like it's kind of like he's like the fast tracked version of Michael P. S. Hayes of like the Freebirds. It's like, oh heels for so long and then you just can't deny it. But Johnny B. Bad's only been here for a couple months and everyone's <laughs> already kind of into it because he's just that good at what he's doing. Is that charismatic? Yeah, it's it's pretty cool. We then go to Jr. and Tony, and they're talking about the Sting situation. And then our eighth match, Ravishing Rick Rude with Paul E. Dangerously versus Sting for the WCW United States Heavyweight Championship. There's a pretty big issue here. It, it is. There's Paul no e. Sting. Paul E. takes the mic to remind everyone that Sting has let everyone down. That the stinger doesn't care about anyone. The little stingers, most importantly. Doesn't care about them. As Dangerously keeps speaking, we cut to picture in picture to show an ambulance pulling up to the arena. Sting jumps out and starts limping his way around the outside, even pulling on the wrong door. Oh yeah, this is good. And Paul E starts yelling at Nick Patrick, the ref, to start Start the count. Yeah, start that bell, start that count. You see some of the face locker room run out to try and help Sting make it. Yeah, way they're trying. They're ring. like, "Yo, like, here's this is how you get to the arena," and they like kind of almost like half escort him. They're cheering him on, and as soon as Sting makes it onto the rampway, Rude is out to attack him. But Stinger hits a military press onto the rampway, and they continue to brawl down to the ring. Sting rolls the ravishing one back into the ring, but Rude with an eye rake and goes up to the top rope coming off with a double axe handle when the Sting catches him in the gut. Sting with right hands, a back body drop, slams his head into the turnbuckle multiple times and hits a clothesline to send Rick over the top to the rampway. Rude grabs the Stinger by the legs from the outside, slams his hurt leg onto the ring post multiple times. The Ravishing One goes up to the top rope, coming off with a single sledge, does some dancing, and looks to hit the rude awakening. But Sting starts to power out and goes for a short arm clothesline, which Rick ducks and pokes the stinger in the eye. Mm. It's good heel. Good heel sleazy stuff. Rude and Sting are throwing hands back and forth until Rick covers up, but the stinger catches himself to wait for Rude to uncover and then knocks him into the ropes, turns around to celebrate, but the ravishing one has bounced off the ropes 
falling to the mat, hitting Sting's bad knee on the way down. Mm. Yeah, Sting's been selling the knee the whole way to the ring. He kind of stops selling it for a minute to get some shit in, but, you know, he gets back to it. The Stinger's grabbing at his knee when Paul E. jumps on the apron and smashes his Zach Morris-style phone (laughs) over the head of Sting to knock him to the mat. Rude rolls over the Stinger, makes the cover for the pin, and the no no, Sting kicks out. DDT by the Stinger, dangerously back up on the apron, and Sting has him by the throat when the Ravishing One dives at the knee of Sting. Rude then makes the cover for the pin... And, and the win. win. And, and no. <laughs> this is funny. But yeah, this is the smart thing to do. But it's like, well, we kind of got to get Sting to the heavyweight title, I guess. Is that where he's going? Or is he just not going to stay in this feud with Rude? I mean, he's not going to the WWF. <laughs> we know that about Sting. No, no, he's not. <laughs> I mean, that's like, it's like, yeah, anybody else is kind of fair game, but like Sting, it's like, oh no, Sting's the lifer. Yeah, I mean, if Rude coming in, he needs to win quickly. I agree. It, it, it establishes him as a force. Yeah, he has WCW. to. He absolutely has to. And Sting, they do the, they do the hospitalization angle. The first one night hospitalization angle that I'm aware of. And they did it extremely well. I mean, in the past, they would have had Sting overcome those odds to win. Yeah. But it makes more sense for Rude to win this belt. In the hospital, and he's still like, oh, he like, and he, the thing that put him over was him hitting the back of the knee, and then the roll-up. It all works. There's nothing, nothing wrong here. No, definitely not. Tony's then in the back with Paul E., Rick Rude, and Medusa, and dangerously says... He wasn't supposed to be here because it was a setup. It was a conspiracy by the mastermind, by Rick Rude, the U.S. champion, by Medusa, by the total package, your former best friend, Lex Luger. Now you answer to us. Now the dangerous alliance calls the shots because there's a new champion without even breaking a sweat. And Rude chimes in with, All the Stinger's hopes and prayers have died. Nice guys. Finish last. And this is where I'm talking about Medusa being incredibly fun. She is sitting there in the back and just like being like very smug and like, like shit eating grin. And she is just wiping sweat off of Rick and like, just like flicking it at the camera and doing it again. And it is so fucking funny. It's so funny and it's so good and it's so subtle, but like she's doing it. It's not awkward or anything. It just seems so natural and shitty and it's fucking incredible. And I couldn't praise her enough for that because it's kind of like, well, Sherry is your over the top uh, like female heel. And yeah. here Medusa is sh- equally as shitty, but a little more subtle. Or more subtle and like psychological as opposed to like like as opposed to rage it's like oh no you are nothing and she's just like flicking sweat and it's great and her face is incredible for uh, all of it uh, it's so good I am so happy Rick Root is here and 
I didn't know this about this dangerous alliance, and I didn't like. I didn't know that was a thing. I didn't know that it was a thing that you loved and was so important to you. So I'm very excited about all of this. We then get another ad for Starcade. Full brawl. JR is then at ringside with Ron Simmons. And Ron tells us that he has a broken wrist from his match at Halloween Havoc. But he will come back to become the first black man to wear the world championship. Uh, I love it. It's so good. And it's so fun. Like, Ron's pretty over, but it's just so sweet and nice that behind the, like, he's doing the promo and behind him is, like, fucking, like, a bunch of, like, black kids, like, young black kids that are super into him and they're stoked on it. And it's just, like, just feels so good. And I wanted Ron Simmons to win that title. And I want Ron Simmons to win that title so soon because... I'm going to be really bummed. Like, I love Ric Flair. But I'm going to be really bummed if Ric Flair comes back, like, next week and just, like, scoops that title. I don't know. WCW is really fun right now. JR then sends us off to a video package, and we see Rick Steiner making the cover on Luger when Mr. Hughes jumps in the ring to receive a Steiner line, brings Harley Race into the ring from the apron with a vertical suplex, Hits a belly-to-belly suplex on Lex, and the ref makes the count. Even though I don't think it was a real match because Luger was wearing dress pants. <laughs> so, it was just like a like post-match brawl. Something like that. We get another highlight that's shown of Rick hitting a belly-to-belly on Mr. Hughes to win a match. But Race jumps in the ring only to receive multiple body slams. Then Luger rolls into the ring and clotheslines Steiner from behind. Looks to hit a pile driver, but Scott Steiner jumps into the ring to run everyone off. And this is just showing that Rick has had a feud with Lex and he has gone through all the correct channels to deserve this match. Exactly. Like, this is a good package. I agree. Tell completely. the story. WCW kind of getting, kind of starting to get better at it. Also, you know. I am a huge Rick Steiner guy, so I'm pretty pumped for this. So our ninth match, Rick Steiner with Scott Steiner versus Lex Luger with Harley Race and Mr. Hughes for the WCW World Heavyweight Championship. Before the match gets going, JR tells us that the enforcers are still complaining to the championship committee in the back, and they hope to have an official word by the end of the show. And once again the ref makes Mr. Hughes go back to the locker room. And JR puts over the fact that Scott Steiner has gotten a one-night manager license. Yes. Because because rules? Exactly. Because rules? Rules. Keep your mouth shut. Because you can only have one one for one. Just math. Just let's talk about math. Manager's license. A one-night manager's license. Come on, dog. The two men with some really stiff lockups early on. Yes. Rick's getting Lex to the mat several times, but Luger always makes it to the ropes to break it up. Steiner is tossed to the ropes, and Lex goes for a leapfrog, but Rick catches him to deliver a power slam. A Steiner line knocks Luger through the ropes to the outside, where Race helps him regroup. Back in, Lex goes low with a kick, slams Rick's head into the turnbuckle. But Steiner just slams his own head in the turnbuckle a couple times to basically say, there ain't anything up here to hurt. Ooh, ooh. 
And this is where I am. This is going to be vulgar, but sexually excited at the thought of Rick <laughs> being champion. That's still a little less vulgar than what I wrote down. But like, I know it's not going to happen, but I can't say that uh, him hitting his head into the turnbuckle and barking to the crowd didn't make me feel some type of way. Just saying. I I love me some Rick Steiner. Rick with a back body drop and then Luger with a thumb to the eye tosses Steiner to the ropes and misses a clothesline and Rick grabs him for a release German suplex for the two count. Yeesh. A couple cheap shots have Lex back in control momentarily, but Steiner retaliates with right hands and goes for an Irish whip that is reversed, sending Rick chest first into the turnbuckle as Luger picks Steiner up to crotch him on the top rope. He also knocks the ref down. Ref bump. Scott is up on the apron yelling at the ref while Lex hits a clothesline from behind and then another running clothesline. And all of a sudden we see trash start flying into the ring. Uh, that's for Lex. Just yeah. saying. Just saying. Luger this with match is not bad enough for trash to be thrown into it. Kicks. Raking the eyes with the ring ropes. Goes for a vertical suplex, but Rick blocks and reverses into one of his own. But Lex is up first and hits a body slam and an elbow drop for a two count. Before throwing Steiner to the outside. Harley Race gets on the action with a kick to Rick but Scott comes running over to make sure nothing more happens. Luger then rolls out and slams Rick's head into the guardrail before rolling him back in. Clubbing forearms, double axe handles by Lex, but the dog-faced Gribblin fights back with a power slam, goes up to the top rope to hit the bulldog for the pin, and the, no, Luger gets his foot on the ropes. Don't play with me like that. I don't appreciate that. Rick picks Lex up, setting him on the top rope, and hits a super belly-to-belly. But out on the rampway, Mr. Hughes has made his way back out, and Scott is confronting him, and ends up back-body-dropping Hughes into the ring. From the ramp, like, into the ring, yeah. Yeah. Over the ropes, it's pretty cool. Scott then comes in to hit a Frankensteiner on Hughes, descending back to the floor. Which is scary. Hughes is a big guy. He should not be doing that. Rick then hits another belly-to-belly suplex, but races up on the apron to distract the ref. So Rick brings Harley into the ring with a vertical suplex. Hmm. The ref is helping race out of the ring. Uh. Luger grabs the belt and nails Rick in the face with it. Throws it out of the ring before making the cover for the pin. And the the win. win. Is this the perfect, like, a perfect title defense? It's like, okay, well, this is not the main feud. But, like, the title defenses you have to have between, like, your big matches, this is, like, just for that. This reminds me a lot of the Great American Bash 1986 video that we watched. They yeah. had the Road Warrior Hawk versus uh-huh. Ric Flair match. <laughs> exactly. Oh my God. Yeah. Where it was like Road Warrior Hawk should have no chance against Ric Flair. Yes. But they do such a great job with the match uh-huh. that it makes the guy who shouldn't have any chance look like he's going to win the match. Yeah. This is like when you get a like 
what's a good example here? This is like getting uh, like an an Ishi Omega match. Yes. Where it's like, oh, like pfft, that match should course. be okay, but it ends up being one well, of yeah, the it's best one of those matches you're going like, to see all year. Yeah, and it's like, oh yeah, like they're both very good, but you know who's going to win. But like, also Ishi could pull out a win, like not for like. It's kind of weird because like that's not a title match. Like it kind of feel. I guess it feels like a New Japan title defense. In a way, where it's like, you know they're not going to win, but you know it's going to be a good match. And, like, this fucking rules. And they have to have some people out there for whatever. I guess, why not? But Rick is so good, and Lex is so much better here than he is with some other people. I agree. Like, this match, this match honks. It's good shit. I mean, I'm biased. I'm a big, I'm a big Rick fan. We know that. But I'm Rick's kind of better here than he's ever been. I was a big, I was all in on Rick as soon as he started to be, as soon as he showed he up. He started talking to his hand. Yeah, I mean, I still think that's incredible. But he, as soon as he showed up, and then his, him and his brother started tagging, and I was like, oh well, this is the greatest tag team of all time, right? It, they are. <laughs> yeah, Absolutely. and they're going to be until at least '92. JR and Tony then let everyone know to call the hotline because they will let you know if Dustin Rhodes and Steamboat will be able to keep their belts before they say their goodbyes as the credits roll over Pyro going off. So I ask you, Michael Temple. Yes, sir. What are your thoughts on Clash of the Champions 17? It's an hour and 49 minutes. It's worth your time. It is. The the lows are low, but the highs are so high. And I like after watching this, I was like, is there a clash that's better than Clash 17? There's so many clashes. Do I need to go back and watch them all? Is Clash 17 like peak clash? And there's 35 of them. It's wild. But like I think this show is so compact and entertaining. Yeah, and the, and the highs are incredible. So 1991 has not been a good year for WCW. No, but this show was a breath of fresh air. It is, and honestly, I liked Halloween Havoc '91. I liked it quite a bit, but this is the lean version of it, where it's like, oh, okay, well, there's less matches, and there's less good matches but the good matches are twice as good as the good matches before you know what i mean i mean i think i asked you this question off air yeah but i want to i want you to answer it here do you feel like the two cards of halloween havoc and this card possibly could have been changed like opposite like i feel like this clash of the champions card is more of a pay-per-view card than what the halloween havoc card was in a way, but the other, issue... than, other than maybe the Ron Sim, because Rick Steiner's not getting a pay per view main event. Yeah, yeah, obviously. I mean, I would have loved it, but uh, in a way, but it seems kind of it seems almost more backwards than anything. Like this show should have happened before the other one. Well, maybe. I mean, other than the Phantom appearing, and you know. Yeah, but maybe I the mean, Phantom. There's small, there's small things, obviously. That yeah, yeah. You can't switch, but. But I mean, fuck. But I. Overall, I overall quality i feel like this is a pay-per-view quality show 
Yeah. While Halloween Havoc, you probably could have put most of that show on TV and no one would have really given a shit. I feel like this is kind of like birds of a feather kind of thing. Like, I feel like they should be a companion. Like, I feel like you can't watch, like, if you watch both of the shows, then it just kind of fills everything out because it's really weird. Dustin Rhodes versus Steve Austin is an incredible match that's not here, but Steamboat versus the Enforcers, which is basically what that match is, is like absolutely incredible. But who would you put there instead of Dustin? And putting Dustin there potentially puts him over more. So it's kind of this weird, like, like Sudoku, where it's like, oh, it's Sudoku, but we're missing two numbers. So it's like, oh, well, we can't really fill it out. <laughs> so saying all that, mm-hmm. I'm going to say everything in the second half of the show is a must watch, in my opinion. Agreed. And I'm even going to go as far as saying, I think this might be my second favorite show we have ever covered. Oh, wow. That's good. I mean, I am not far behind you. And I would even say that Austin and PN News deserves to be like on the first half of the show. Austin PN News is definitely the one that I would if you're like, OK, if you're starting it. The I mean, that's the match. Tag I match. Start, that's the match that I would start at is the Austin oh, yeah. PN News. Yeah. So literally the first three matches are the only thing that I would be like, you don't have to watch those. And they're not bad. But they're fun. Like They're not bad I, at all. I even liked the Big Josh Thomas Rich match, even though it's a nothing match. Yeah, I agree. It was still fun. And the Zinc match was only like, you know, one third of it, but you know, it, it was like literally it's two minutes. It's fucking it's it's the Z Man. And they disrespected him because the picture in picture, but you know Yeah. It's the that's, Z-Man. That's the Z-Man not, is kind of like the your like old reliable. Like he's like, oh, like he's always gonna do good, and like he's just your perfect mid card man. Exactly. And like I think that he's more than that, but that's what he's been used as, and he's old reliable. He is the that'll do pig that'll do. <laughs> he's like, oh, like that's all I'm gonna get is like, oh, cool. <laughs> He takes it and uh, and and delivers every time. Good. Where, where's the smart marks at? All right. Fuck you. I think it's time we smark it up. So what are your best moments of this show? <sighs> steamboat, steamboat, steamboat. We made you out of Dragon scales. scales. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, st- the steamboat stuff was... Considering how stupid that mask was, the crowd and like the fact that the match started with oh, basically him hot tagging in was beautiful. And like the life running through Steamboat made me feel something, man. I mean, I think I can literally find something that I liked in every, every match. That's that's the reason why I'm just like, I feel like this may be my second favorite show after Great American Bash 89. Yeah. Austin and PN News. Underrated. Was a a masterpiece of like somebody dragging somebody to an incredible match. Like PN News, obviously not a worker's worker. Obviously not a uh, a mat man. But that match 
fucking rocks. I would show that to somebody that's never even watched wrestling, and I, I can't like it is incredibly solid. In even Cactus Jack and Van Hammer, I thought it was is, fun. Is, is fun. It's it's the best Van Hammer we've seen, and Van Hammer's not afraid to jump around, and he is athletic. This show rocks. This is a great way to spend two hours. I don't know what to say. Luger and Luger and Steiner. How did you come off on that one? I know you've had some troubles so, with some of these heavyweight title matches recently. So here's the thing with that match. Yeah. When it started, like when it first started, like I got a little worried because it started doing the Lex doing a move and then them just like backing up. Yeah, I am. But like literally they they only did that for like a couple minutes. Yeah, they did. Maybe not even a couple minutes. Like they got into it really quick. And They're once also they got forced it, by time because it's television, yeah. not not pay per view. But once they got into it, like literally um, everything just clicked, and it was just like it was good, so it was good, so good. And also, Rick, we haven't seen him singles in a while, but like the crowd was still behind him, like they were when he was a singles wrestler before Scott showed up. Where like Rick was immediately over in like eighty eight, eighty nine before before Scott showed up and like the crowd was behind him the same way. It's like, they were like, Oh yeah, your brother's not here, but like, we love you just as much or more. And like, yeah, people were behind him. It, yeah, it's good. It felt like a throwback almost. It kind of felt like a match that should have happened like two years ago because like, you know, Flair's not here, I guess. But when else would have we ever seen Alex versus like Rick one-on-one? Probably never. Yeah, yeah. Without, without, like, there would be no reason to, because Luger has always been in the basically the top main event scene, while Steiner's just the biggest he had ever gotten to was the television title. Yeah, yeah. If Rick Steiner was a little bit taller, or if it was territory days, he'd definitely be a heavyweight champion. You know, that's not the time that he came up in. So, was there anything disappointing on this show for you? I mean, the biggest thing for me, and I've said it a couple times, but I just felt like Diamond uh, Diamond Stud and Z-Man, it shouldn't have gone to picture in picture. No, I mean, I get we, didn't, we, got, we only got the last two minutes anyway. I get, I mean, basically the match literally started like seconds before they came back on the screen. It's Oh, really? It's, it's, that, like, it's like a squash. a whole lot of it, but that they just, I don't feel like we needed to see Sting get into the, the ambulance. I think we I did. Get, I get. I get understanding that you think so. Yeah. I just feel like they could have, they could have thrown it out there or shown it in between the match. Yeah. Like literally could have filmed it and then been like, "Here's Sting getting into the ambulance and headed off to the medical facility or whatever." You know? Yeah. I will say that like I don't have really any strong disappointments about this, but medical facility, hospitalization angle, and hospitalization angle come back in the same evening. Is this the beginning of that? In my mind and in your mind, that's a WWF thing, right? Yeah. Medical facility, hospitalization angle, and comeback in the same evening. And we have it here on Clash of the Champions 17. Did it happen before this? Is there something we're missing? I just kind of want to know, but I don't know how how to know. It would require watching a whole bunch of stuff. <laughs> yeah, cool. <laughs> yeah. it's like oh man i don't know so i'm gonna say well, we yes. can agree that this is the first time that yes. that's it's the first time yeah we can agree this is the first time that we've seen that happen 
we've yes. the first time we've heard medical facility chronologically, and then the first time we've seen a hospitalization angle and a hospitalization comeback, or somebody even come back in the actual in actual ambulance or police vehicle. That's wild to me. But yeah, this show rocks. Halloween Havoc rocks too, but Halloween Havoc rocks a little less and is an hour longer. This yeah. rocks it under two hours. That's kind of the main difference. Who's your performer of the night? Man, that's tough. Steamboat. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go a little crazy. And you know, Austin. I'm gonna go Austin. Yeah, that was he, my second guess. He I was carried, like, I was like, my first thought Kia was Austin. News to a great match. I was gonna be Austin, but then I was like, no, it's Steamboat because Steamboat was so excited to be there. Like Austin's proving himself, but I Steamboat mean, is proving it to himself and not everyone else. As we mentioned, Steamboat popped both of us. Oh, my God. I, I think that that is one of the best matches we've watched in 91 so far. Because, like, literally, I you, you texted me and told me, you know, you were like... Oh, I was you know, over the moon about the Austin uh, PN Austin, news. Austin thing. And then I was like, oh, just, just get ready in 10 minutes. You're going to pop your socks off. Yeah, and I was like, okay, sure. And then as soon as I saw that mask, I was like, oh, my God. Yeah. Oh my god. And then not only did I see the mask, because like at that WWF show, he was good, he was fine, but here it's visceral. It's a different steamboat. It's steamboat, but it's steamboat cranked up. Anything surprising? I mean, other than the steamboat showing up. Steiner getting a world title shot. Yeah, I was very excited about that. I mean, there's a lot of surprising things actually on the show that make it for a really good show yeah the like the because like the, like sting it, getting I, I attacked the, the whole hospitalization angle Polly starting a stable like I mean, with austin, medusa austin i've only known austin really as stone cold uh, the, the stone cold brawling yeah. guy but he showed that he actually knew how to wrestle and yeah so he, it, he's it, like it shocked yeah. me a little bit but i was he's still like, just like yeah, yes. he's, he. W- what we always say about like Bret Hart, where it's like, oh, Bret Hart can have a good match with anybody. Yeah, it's like S- Steve Austin had a great match with PN News. Steve Austin can also have a match with anybody, <laughs> like especially at this point, because like he doesn't have the knee or neck injury, which of course makes a different thing. Absolutely. And, but like here, he's, I assume, in full health. But that match with PN News, I couldn't believe how good it was. It blew my mind. And now for a look back even further into the history of wrestling. The Dusty Finish. Harley Race had taken the NWA World's Heavyweight Championship and held it for over 900 days. But he would head to Tampa, Florida to face the son of a plumber, Dusty Rhodes, who would become the 17th NWA Champion on August 21st, 1979. Dusty Rhodes, born 1945 in Austin, Texas, would see an advertisement in the newspaper for a promotion in Boston. Rhodes would bluff his way onto the company's roster, despite not having any wrestling experience. He would continue to gain that experience working all over the world, despite not having the normal wrestler's physique. His charisma, personality, and mic work made him a fan favorite, particularly in Florida, where he would headline. For his accomplishments and contributions, 
Dusty Rhodes is one of seven men to be inducted into all of the following Hall of Fames. WCW, NWA, Professional Wrestling, WWE, and Wrestling Observer Newsletter. But his first world title reign was not without challenges, as Harley Race would demand a rematch. I didn't realize that his first title reign was 79. I thought it would be earlier than that, but Dusty Rhodes is kind of like the, like, Bobby Heenan is like the manager equivalent to Dusty Rhodes in a way, right? How so? They both are people that only care about wrestling. Like, Bobby Heenan (laughs) dropped out of high school, was not, like, a particularly intelligent man. He just lived and breathed wrestling. And... He knew that he couldn't wrestle, whereas Dusty had the hubris to wrestle, even though he was not physically, like, he was not a going to be putting, yeah, he was not a physical specimen, but he did have the charisma. Like, Dusty Rhodes could have just been a manager if, like, if, if he had wanted to, but it's like, you know, he wanted to do the other thing, whereas, like, Bobby probably could have done the same thing because he wasn't in any better or worse shape than than dusty was but they both did it because they wanted it because that's what they wanted to do sometimes it's just where you end up at because yeah. i think bobby was in up in minnesota with um, also bobby never wanted to wrestle whereas dusty obviously wanted to be the star where bobby just wanted to be a part of it so just kind of a different thing but i feel like that they're kind of like yeah. bird birds of a feather in a weird way yeah and they're also you know two of the best two of the best on the mic two of the best to do it Next week, Survivor Series 1991. It's been a while since we've been to WWF, and kind of a shame that we're going back on a Survivor Series. But, you know, I've been surprised before. Speaking of surprises... Yeah? I'm going to spoil one. If if Ricky Steamboat is on Survivor Series, I'm going to shoot myself in the mouth. (laughs) he wouldn't do that (laughs) it's been so back and forth i don't know what to think no the surprise is if covid uh mania doesn't you know prevent it yeah we should have a special guest with us next week yeah that'll be fun we have only had one guest or two guests before and that was a commentary we'll have a three-man booth for next week possibly hopefully it's in person We're, we're hoping God willing. Masks on. (laughs) Exactly. Music from this week's show is the Clash of the Champions theme called Driver's Death and Lex Luger's theme song Overdrive by DeWolf Music. You like this episode or any of our other ones that you may have listened to? Please go out there and rate and review us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts at. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, email us at wrestlinghistoryx at gmail.com or find us on Twitter at wrestlinghistox. That's wrestling H-I-S-T-O-X. We'll talk to you next week.